amazing this morning, and I'm thankful just to continue on with it. Well, we are actually going to be focusing in for the next month on who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a game changer. Can we all say that? That when the Holy Spirit shows up, when we see Him in our midst, when we give room for Him, that's when things begin to change in our lives, in our families, in every area of our life. So I'm excited to share with you who the Holy Spirit is. I've shared with you weeks past that personally I've been on a journey of digging in to the timeless wisdom of the faith and looking at different times and different seasons of Christianity of how the Holy Spirit has moved. How God, when he said, uh, he told Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against this church. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You and I are the church, and when we have the presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen? Amen. And so I believe this morning, as we pull open the window of the Holy Spirit, that you would see through the timeless wisdom of the Word of God, through the timeless wisdom of the faith, that the Holy Spirit would come alive to you. You know, when we think about the Holy Spirit... Personally, I think he's one of the most misunderstood persons of the Godhead. We can see God as the Father. We can see the grace of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus himself, a lot of people can get misunderstandings or they think he's only strapped in a certain denomination or he only can move in this way or do these things. But the bottom line of the Holy Spirit is he reveals Jesus. He reveals the nature of Jesus. If you want to know the attributes or the characteristics, it can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking and I came across as Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, his heart, and this is my heart for you this morning, that I would just echo it. But he says that you would know the grace of Jesus Christ, because isn't that what we love about Jesus, his grace? You would know the love of the Father. Come on, he's a good Father. And that you would know the communion of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we think of communion, we think of the very thing we just did, but communion is so much deeper. Communion is deep intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And when you, when you take time and you focus in and have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how he can speak to you. It's amazing what can come forth when we gather together as the body of Christ, what he can do in our presence, miracles can happen, and filling can happen in our lives. And I want you to know as your pastor that I'm crazy about the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit, and I love him in my life, and without him, I know I wouldn't be standing here today. I think when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and as we go throughout this series, I want to talk about the different baptisms that belong to you and I as believers. There's the initial baptism where it says in, uh, where is it? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into, the, into one body. So when we have a conversion experience, when we come to the altar and we say, and repent of our sin, we repent of our ways, and we step into life with Christ, that's a conversion or that's a baptism into the body of Christ that Jesus Christ brings us. And then there's water baptism where we bring our awesome uh, 
hot tub up here. Don't you love it? It's pretty, pretty cool. If you haven't been to one, make sure you come to one. It's an awesome experience. But where you get physically baptized with water, just as on my wedding day when I gave vows to my wife, then there's the symbolic aspect of it when you share in the exchanging of the rings. The same as when you uh, give yourself over to the Lord, then the symbolic aspect of that is water baptism, where you go down the old man and come up the Then there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where whether it's through the laying on of hands and anointing of oil, there's a third baptism. And see, this, the third baptism is where a lot of people, we miss it in our lives because that's where power is given into our lives so we can do the work of the ministry. We can be the husband that God's called us to be. We can be the wife that God has called you to be. You can raise children the way he showed us. The, the sad truth is, is there's so many believers that go throughout life without ever experiencing the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit because it's different upon conversion. It's different upon water baptism. It is a separate baptism experience that will change your entire life. Some other upfront upfront statements. We think we don't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit if we don't speak in tongues. A lot of people think that. Now, to illustrate that, that's basically to say, if I were to pray for you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit and lay hands on you, I would say, I'm giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, my wallet represents the Holy Spirit. So if I were to say, Pastor Webb, here's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, no, no. (laughs) Receive the rain, right? Now, what we do where people have a misinterpretation is, Well, if I don't have tongues, if I say, okay, you don't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit unless you have tongues, instead of me giving you the Holy Spirit, I'm just giving you this aspect of what's all in here. You don't know in here that my driver's license in here, a couple coupons to Jersey Mike's, uh, some some credit line, uh, whatever is in here. So there's a whole world of the Holy Spirit, but for some reason... People limit it to the small gift, and not, I shouldn't say small, but just to this one vantage point of speaking in tongues. Now, if you read the nine gifts of the, the nine charisms or the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that come forth, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues is actually at the end. Where I've talked with believers and talked with Christians and young people who have a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit where they feel shame and condemnation because they can't speak in tongues they feel they don't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the awesome thing, and we're going to get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to explore them. We're going to see them, how they've played out through the timeless wisdom of the faith and see how they are very much for us today and are meant to operate in our lives and in our church. So I'm excited, and there's an expectancy within me of what God is going to do in our church and in our midst. And I'm excited as well. I'll go ahead and insert this here is I have a huge announcement for us as a church next week. I'm going to share with all of you this Sunday, so I hope you're here because it's going to contribute to the growth of our church and you're not going to want to miss it. So there's a little cliffhanger there for you. We're going to be packed next week, I hope. And so there's the three baptisms and I want to look at all of them. But this morning, there's an attribute of the Holy Spirit I think a lot of people miss. It just kind of gets thrown in with Jesus and what he does in our life. But we miss it, and I really want to pull it out, and I really want us to see it and to experience it. And so if you look at Scripture, I want to look at John 1, 14 first. And this is the apostles 
John talking, and, he, and he, look what he says here. He says, for we have beheld the glory of God. And then this is, yeah, right here, John 1.14, we have beheld his glory. And so what they're talking about is the apostles had experienced those three years of ministry with Jesus, right? They were right there with him. They were growing. They were seeing Jesus perform miracles. Their lives were being transformed. They were literally seeing God use them to walk on water. God used them to multiply the fish and the loaves. They were experiencing the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. But not only that, they experienced the ascension when Jesus ascended into heaven and he promised us that someone greater was going to follow, which is the Holy Spirit. He also, they also experienced Pentecost, the power of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit showed up and literally changed everything. And it was that day that the church was born. And so the apostles say, we have beheld his glory. So that is a full statement that they have seen the glory of God. And my heart and my desire is that we see the glory of God in every area of our life. Go back a couple scriptures. Look at John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave the power. Everybody say power. power. Gave the power to become sons. And I'm going to insert this, daughters of God. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the power to become sons and daughters of God. And as I read this, I wrote this down. And you can write this down as well. It's, it's the greatest reality that you and I can experience is the fact that you can become a child of God. The greatest reality, think about it for a second. We have been talking about the cross and how what Jesus Christ was by nature, we can become through grace. The greatest reality we can experience is that you can literally be adopted and receive the inheritance of all Jesus paid the price for in blood on the cross where you can become a daughter of God and you can become a son of God. And the devil, the enemy, Satan's goal is to keep you from ever experiencing your sonship, your inheritance, what God has for your life as a son and as a daughter of God. This was made possible through the Holy Spirit. We've been talking in our series of Proverbs that there's uh, countless Proverbs where it's how it's set up where it's a father speaking into a son. And if you read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, you'll hear him say, my child. And I brought a, uh, as me and my dad say, if you're a golfer, the Jack Nicklaus icon, and we sat him here, a little statue. And if you haven't been here on Wednesdays, I'm going to have to tell him myself, but I said our Wednesday crowd are probably the most spiritual here at our church. They show up on Wednesdays. Just kidding, of course, but anyways, we'll leave that there. But I brought this, uh, this statue in, and what's so neat, I've, I grew up seeing this statue, and it, it sat at the helm of our fireplaces, even as we moved. It's just always been kind of that, that picture in our, in our home. And me and my two brothers, we always grew up seeing this, and we would kind of fight who the boy in the, in the statue was. No, that's me. No, that's Clay. That's Cole. But what it looks like is, uh, you know, golf is a big thing in our world and in our house. But it's the father standing over the young son, and the, the son has a putter in his hand, and, and the father is teaching the son the golf swing, kind of like me and Cole were teaching Josh over here. First time he played golf at our golf outing, he did great. We worked with him. I, got, I almost got hit three or four times with the golf ball, but I survived. <laughs> and so it's, there's this statue where the father is 
standing over the sun, and he's showing the sun how to putt. And here's the beautiful aspect of this statue, is the sun isn't, and how the statue represents, the sun isn't so intense on his putt or making sure he has the right swing or the ball. But what is so beautiful about it and what has just shown me to help understand the Father's love is the Son is looking up at the Father. That it's not about really even what he's teaching him. It's not about the golf swing. It's that moment the Son is feeling the Father's heart and the Father's love. And he's just taking it in, looking up at his dad, teaching him how to swing. And when you don't understand the love of the Father, as Paul says, I I pray, I encourage you, please understand the love of the Father. You miss so much of how the Word of God is to come forth in our lives. Because if you see God as Zeus or with a beard and lightning bolt every time you mess up, you're never going to receive the fullness of the Word of God because you're going to see that God is mad at you, God wants to punish you. But no, God's heart is to teach you and is to instruct you and is to discipline you. It's all out of love. It's a love story that's been preserved for 2,000 years so that you and I know our purpose, that there is power that comes forth through the Holy Spirit where you can understand the reality that I am a son. I am a daughter of God. I am a child of God. It changes everything in your life. And the devil knows if, if he can Again, keep you from ever stepping into the reality of that, into the fullness of it. You're going to miss what God is wanting to do in your life, or you're going to be full. Just as we think if we don't have our prayer language, we don't have the Holy Spirit, the devil is so good to always come in and whisper and help make sure you feel shameful, you feel condemned. I'm not going to come to church. I'm not as spiritual. All the lies the devil brings in to keep us divided, to keep us disunified. He is quick to always come in there and make you question your identity. Look at the world around us. Look at gender. Look at all the conversations and things we see on Facebook, things we see in the news that are constantly questioning identity, questioning gender. That gender isn't a God thing. That gender is a social construct, whatever that looks like. It's crazy when you think about it, but it's the reality of where our world is at and the conversations people are having. And so now more than ever, the world needs to know that they can be a child of God, they can be a son and daughter of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think, I'm 25, I think about my generation, my generation has completely, I shouldn't say completely, but so much has misunderstood the Holy Spirit. I can remember my second year at Oral Roberts University and I was a student chaplain where I helped advise the spiritual life of the 50 guys that were on my floor. And uh, the church I attended at the time was doing a series on the Holy Spirit, was teaching about the Holy Spirit. And I felt God dealing with me a lot on the things of the Holy Spirit, that I want to understand more. I want to know more of Him. And I saw the spiritual level on our floor, and, and I would pray for my floor and pray that these men would understand who the Holy Spirit is. And so I reached out to the pastor that was preaching the series. I said, hey, God's doing a lot in me personally through this series. What would you think about coming? And let's just get our floor together and let's just talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, one thing after another, he agreed, was able to come on a, on a Tuesday night. And I, I reached out to the other chaplains that were on our floor and I said, hey, we're going to do this teaching on the Holy Spirit. What do you think about just combining everything at once 
and let's just talk about the Holy Spirit and see what may happen. And so their 50 guys came, their 50 guys came, and we had about 100-some guys, not everybody showed up, but we spread the word and we said, hey, we're doing this. And how the dorms are set up, it's quite funny, is there's three, uh, there's three wings that go this way and one that goes that way, and then there's the elevators. So we didn't have a little dorm room big enough to hold all these guys in. So we literally just took the alcove area by the elevators, we crowded everybody in there, and we said, okay, here's where we're going to do it. And what was funny is we would be talking, and they'd see all these guys in here, and there would be, you know, we couldn't shut the elevators down, so literally people would show up in the elevators and walk in, and everybody praying or praying in the spirit. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Ah, get me out of here. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But we just began to talk about the Holy Spirit, and there was one guy who said, you know, my whole life I've thought the Holy Spirit just barks. I said, when I was a kid, I was in a church service, and this lady just began to bark, saying she was filled with the Holy Spirit. I know it's funny, but it's serious. And with him, it, it hurt him and said, if that's how the Holy Spirit is, I'm going way over here. I want nothing to do with that. If, I got, if the barking is the Holy Spirit, that's not for me. And so again, the Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood persons. And when we pursue the Holy Spirit, a lot of the times, and I'm guilty of this, and if you're guilty of it, you can confess it, but sometimes we pursue more of his gifts, of his manifestations, than his heart. That we want to receive the rain, baby, but are we willing to walk the path as we talked of allowing the Holy Spirit to judge our lives? Because we don't step into his presence on our rules or on our terms. We step into his presence the way that he's laid it out. That's another thing where I think a lot of churches miss it. I'm talking about myself too. If we get this idea of what we think the Holy Spirit is or who Jesus is, but never truly connecting to the communion of the Holy Spirit, the way he's laid it out in the word of God and how the greatest thing, reality again, is to become a son and daughter of God. So we were in this meeting. We're praying. And uh, we end up getting a, a, someone who could play guitar and sing. And there was such a presence of the Holy Spirit, that in all these men, a resistance just began to leave. You know when you can just feel in a conversation when someone's kind of like this with you, and then something just clicks and that resistance leaves, and then you know you have a moment you can really impart into someone's life? That moment happened. And there was guys on my floor who I didn't even know they were saved at the time, but they just began to worship. And many of them uh, came to me after and said, you know, I, I know I'm here at a Christian college, but I've never experienced this side of things. What was it that I just experienced? So the Holy Spirit's power and his presence showed up in that moment. And a lot of these men's and, and young adults' lives were changed. Something was sparked in them. And then what was cool is what followed. I, a lot of them would go to church with me and all these type things. It's amazing, again, when you give room for the Holy Spirit, what can happen? And that was the, the, the heart behind that story. Give room to the Holy Spirit and watch what he may do in your family, in your workplace, in your church. Because without the Holy Spirit, there really is no Christianity. Without the Holy Spirit in our church, this is just a social club or this is just a religious institution. The Holy Spirit's role, even in our gathering here together, is vital. You know, I was looking at some other scripture, and this comes from 2 Thessalonians. And it's Paul talking to the church and encouraging them. Don't you, I love Paul because you see his heart so much bleed of how much he loved the church. 
And when you know Paul's heart, even as you read the word of God, he rebukes a lot, but you can take that rebuke because you know his heart. Isn't it amazing when you know the heart of God and you see something in scripture where your first instinct is, well, I don't really agree with that, or I don't really see that as important, or, I don't see that as necessary. But you know his heart is for us to progress in the Holy Spirit, to go forward, to have growth coming in and of our life. That you, receive, you can receive a rebuke or you can receive chastisement of the Lord because his heart is for your growth and his heart is that loving father standing over you. I think as my dad has taught me to try to putt, there's times where, man, we would stay out for an hour or so on the green, on the putting green to try to get my putt stroke down. Now, there was times as I didn't want to stay out there, but I know that this is what it required in order to get that sweet stroke down. Again, give room to the Holy Spirit in your life and watch what he may do. Look at scripture. It says, Paul is speaking here. He says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. So you see Paul's heart here. You see, it's a heart of thanksgiving. Just as I'm to say to you, I am thankful that all of you are here. I love all of you. And I'm thankful that you come to church here. I'm thankful for how you serve here. I'm thankful for how Christian called in sick this morning, and TJ, who was still asleep, was able to get here and come drum. I'm thankful for that commitment. Our church is wonderful of how everyone jumps in and serves and gives. I'm thankful for you. So this is Paul's heart saying to the church, I am thankful for you. And here's what he says too. I'm thankful for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Do you know that you are beloved? That's how God sees you. You are his Beloved, here it is, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. And that's the title of the message this morning is God has chose you. He has chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're chosen. God has chose you to be a son and to be a daughter by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say this and I want to break this down a little bit and dig into what Paul is saying a little more. But a lot of people have a misconception about Christianity. Where when you become a Christian, you're just not, okay, I'm, I'm a part of the Christian life. It's something so much more transformational. You take on new life. Your life is no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Where we want to take, again, we take everything we are and we say, God, here I am. And then he heals us through the Holy Spirit. But so many of us have a mindset and so many of the world has a mindset that I just said a prayer, I'm good. And then they never invite the infilling of the Holy Spirit again to work out salvation and being saved and being healed. Christianity it fundamentally is taking on new life. We take on his inheritance. We take on that we are now becoming a son, a daughter of God. So again, Paul is setting up the heart here that we are his beloved. That God chose us for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Here's the thing. He's the what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God makes us holy. Sanctification and holiness at its core is being set apart. That when you receive more of the Holy Spirit, he begins to set you apart. 
He begins to pull you out of the things that can so easily entangle you. He begins to set you free of sin. He begins to set you free of generational spirits. He begins to heal your mind and your conscience, your spirit man. The very core of you begins a healing journey because you're walking into fullness of what he created you for. You're his beloved. He's chose you. He's called you. But it's through sanctification. It's through allowing his work to begin to set you apart so that you can become all of a son and of a daughter that he created you to be. And it's belief in the truth. It's belief in the truth. It's knowing the truth. It's knowing the wisdom of the word of God. It's knowing the wisdom as we looked in Proverbs of to go here but not to go there. The choices we make do matter. But at, the, at all of it, his grace is big enough. It's strong enough. He's not surprised when we mess up. But his grace is limitless for us to come to so we can continue on our healing journey. Because Christianity is a lifetime. It is a lifetime. And if you understand that you have eternal value, you won't cut yourself short. That this is not the be-all, end-all. When we go into heaven... Right now, again, as we've said, we are the church militant where we are fighting, we are believing, we're destroying the works of the devil, we're praying for our families, we're loving our families, we're loving our church. So we're in the militant, we're fighting, but then when we die and go to be with him is the timeless wisdom of the faith and how Christianity would understand it for thousands of years, 2,000 years, is that now we are a part of the church triumphant, where we are interceding, where we're praying, we're believing. There's a work that we do in eternity. So your soul, who you are, has eternal value. Now, if you knew that you had eternal value, think of the most priceless thing you've ever owned. You baby it, you love it, you look out for it, no scratches, it's clean all the time. The same is with your soul. You have eternal value. Your soul is the most valuable possession that you own. So why wouldn't you allow... The work of the Holy Spirit, the power, as John 1, 12 said, gives us power to become sons and daughters of God. Having the right mindset, knowing your identity, knowing the gifts that are freely given to all of us in the Holy Spirit to operate and to do what he's called us to do. Am I preaching good this morning? You're receiving this. A church father said, that we are not the sum of our weakness and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. That right there should give you some goosebumps. That you're not labeled by your weaknesses, your failures, your mistake, but when you become a son and daughter of God, it, you are labeled by the sum of the Father's love for you. And look how much, look what the price that he paid to make sure that you know that this cross would echo to all generations, 2,000 years from when it happened, that you would know you were loved, that you were beloved, that you can be a son and daughter of God, and you can have power in your life. That when, what does scripture say? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. That's the power of God in your life. When you feel all hell coming against your family, when you feel all hell coming against your finances, your health, the spirit of the Lord, the power within you can raise up a standard where you can overcome and you can have victory in your life. Anybody need victory in your life? We're not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love. And as two weeks ago, we said that the way of God always becomes smooth. The smooth out of your life is always through a cross. The way of God becomes smooth 
through a cross. Again, we have to understand that we are not a nameless, I put this down, a nameless and faceless person. You know, the world and so many times in, in life, we just feel like a number. Or in our jobs, we work in a big corporate world, thousands of employees. We can just feel like we're a number. We're just cycling through, doing our work. No one ever notices. It's clock in, clock out, 60 hours here, 50 hours there. To God, to you sitting here, you're a soul. You're a person. You're beloved. You have a name. You have a face. He knows the thoughts about you are as many as the grains of sand. When you understand that you have purpose and calling and understand that you have eternal value and that your greatest reality is understanding you are, can be a son and a daughter of God, everything in your life begins to change because you don't walk decrepit all the time and depressed and oppressed and my boss said this or my husband said that. You begin to walk. You put your shoulders back. You believe and you confess the word of God over your life. And you take the hard road of allowing the Holy Spirit to judge you as he did Joshua. As Joshua wrestled with God, it's because previously Joshua was a liar. He was a deceiver. And God met him in order to set him free. And that's what, with all of us. Whatever generational things you see in your life, whatever weaknesses and failures you're seeing in your life, when you invite the wrestling of the Holy Spirit, that's how you can be set free. I'm tired of Christians not having power in their life. It is time to have power. It's time to rise up and be all God has called us to be. But if you don't understand this one truth, if you don't understand the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, you'll never have it. It all goes together. It intertwines. It's what I love that God identifies himself in three persons. Another church father said that sin's nearness to us provokes God's remoteness. God's choice is to never be distant from us. There's times in our life when we feel he's just distant. God, where are you? Anybody ever say, God, where are you? The truth of the reality is, is that when there is sin in our life, it's not that he's mad at us, but it's sin's closeness provokes God's remoteness. You know, I have a, a little three-year-old puppy still, Gibson. When we play, man, he loves to play, and, and, and we have a great time. We, you know, we'll wrestle and all these kind of things. But I know when he gets tired, and I still want to keep playing with him, or when I'm tired, it's more when I'm tired, and he wants to keep playing with me, and he just keeps provoking me. Guess what? I start to get a little frustrated. I start to get mad, and I just want to go put him in his crate. It's not a cage. It's a crate. And say, I'm done. Again, when we, sinful nature provokes God's remoteness. But here's the good news. Good news. And here's what you got to know. Here's the but of it. Is that he loved us so much that he didn't want remoteness in our lives that he paid, again, the ultimate price. He built the bridge where we can have communion with him and have power in our life because the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's, again, as I keep saying, there is the initial thing of that, the initial baptism of it. But did you know that every time we come together and we worship and we meet together, infilling takes place. Many of you walked in, you had a tough week. You got bad news. 
There was the enemy trying to provoke you in your life. But when you step into the sanctuary, guess what? You stepped into a hospital to get healing for your life. And you can be infilled when we worship and we are reminded that I went through, I felt like I went to hell and back this week. But as I heard that God can heal Michelle, she can, he can heal me too. That he can do a miracle in my life. What's neat is, is that we would consider ourselves charismatic. That we want charismatic power in our lives, right? Charism broke down and what it's defined is it's a divine endowment of grace. That God desires through his infilling for a divine endowment of grace upon your life. Isn't that good? <coughs> Another scripture I love. And Brie, I just want you to come for a second. I want you to sing. I, I told her last night, I said, I want you to sing that song clean because it completely describes what it's all about. And I just want you to, st- you can just stay right there, Seth, you can say, I just kind of sprung this on her last minute, but I felt the spirit of God saying that our church needs to hear this and receive this because when we feel that God is distant and he's not close, look what scripture says in Hebrews 9, 14. Just think how much more the blood of Jesus Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds. So there's a purification that takes place and she sings this. I pray this scripture comes alive to you. Look what it says. So that we can worship the living God. For by the power, everybody say power, power, of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So the perfect sacrifice has happened. Where when Christ sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. But that happens when we sin, we fall short, then we have to come to him in repentance and the sin gets washed away and then we're seen through the blood of Jesus. And so I want you to sing this song, Brie, that there's nothing too dirty, that he can't make worthy. He washed me in mercy. I'm clean. I would sing it for you. But we're working on that. Yeah. Don't worry. There's nothing too dirty that you can make worthy. You washed me in mercy. I am clean. There's nothing too dirty that you can make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean, I'm clean, oh, washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags were purified. I'm clean. Washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags were purified. I'm clean. There's nothing too dirty. Thank you, Jesus. That you can make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. I'm clean. Oh, there's nothing too dirty. That 
Aren't you thankful for the cross this morning? That he's made you new. He's given you a new name. You know, when Joshua wrestled with God, his name was changed to Israel. When you allow the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, your life changes. You're brought back into right relationship with him. There's nothing wrong with repentance. There's, again, we get a bad taste in our mouth of judgment. Judgment isn't bad. Discipline isn't bad. It is the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that progresses us into who God has called us to be. You know, I think one of the most powerful scriptures of understanding the Holy Spirit is found in 2 Corinthians verse 18. I don't have the reference right here. But what it says is that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit? When you think of that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, it is the most dignifying thing that God would choose, Almighty God, my creator, the one who created earth, the one who created me, would literally come and want to dwell within me. Now, if I knew that God the creator, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wanted to make me a temple, the fear of the Lord just hits me. And your heart begins to change that I don't want to do anything to grieve you, Holy Spirit, because you live within me. But again, God understands our human fallen nature and he gave us grace so that when we do fall short, we can know that there's nothing too dirty in our lives that he can't make worthy. He's washed us by the blood of his perfect sacrifice so that we can be the temple, we can be the church, we can be the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Each and every one of you, if I were to call of you, all of you by name and say, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just your pastor. It's not just, you know, pastors and leaders and te- all these things. You individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you understand that, everything in your life begins to change. The decisions you make begin to change. Everything becomes focused that I want the dwelling presence of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus in my life, and I want to do nothing to grieve him. You know, a lot of people even get the Ten Commandments wrong. They see him as this law that God preaches at us and and towers over us and say, thou shalt not. The reason he gives us that is so that we can be in relationship with him. Because again, he set the path to his presence. It's another good title for the message today. What's the path to his presence? And again, when you can see him as the loving father standing over us, then watch what begins to happen in your life as you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what's funny? What happens in the scripture when Paul speaks of it, he's Uh, rebuking the church in Corinth because they had this pagan mentality because they were still growing. This should encourage all of us, is that every time Paul went to church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth, church in Galatians, all these type things, the church was being encouraged and it was being rebuked at the same time because they still had pagan mentalities that God was still growing in their lives and setting them free of. See, some disconnect happens in a lot of churches where when people come in with issues or baggage, as we like to say, or there's sin in our lives, the church should be the last person 
to smirk and to judge and to look and to have wrong feelings about them. We should be the first to extend a hand and say, sweetie, come here. Let me show you the way to grace. Now, let me turn my back and you're sitting in my seat. So here's the left foot of fellowship and get out. We become a little territorial, don't we? We should be the first to extend grace because of what he did for us. And so Paul, the, the, the church here, had a wrong view on sexuality. They, they, what they thought is that, and you can go and you can read this, is that what I do outside my body or what I do in the body doesn't matter. So basically, I can be free to make any decision sexually that I like and it not hurt my spiritual life with God. So Paul comes in, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's got to change here. And he rebukes them in love and says, hey, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So why, as he says in his words, why would you connect yourself with a harlot? Because then what you do in the body comes upon you. And so he rebukes them and he shows them. And then he goes into marriage of how sexuality and, and the parameters that it's supposed to be in is, is to happen. But again, when we feel God talks to us, we, we think it's some preacher preaching hell and brimfire and shouting us down and I'm the man of God, I'm more holier than all of you. And we completely miss the heart of God in it. And that's where I pray, I always bleed my heart to you, is that you would understand the grace of God. And this whole idea that someone's here and you're there should not exist. But that there is a pulling and a drawing to the altar and to the cross. And understanding again that the greatest reality is that we can become children of God. And that he desires, he his heart is for all of us to experience that. I want to end with a story, you know, in the news. Uh, on the line, along the lines of when Paul rebuked and told us we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. At the age of 91, Hugh Hefner passed away. You know anything about him, you know the, the, the uh, disgusting empire that he created. And at the time when all of that came about, it was the sexual revolution in America. And we began to see all that came out of that. Many of you were around in that time. But what was neat is you look and you study, where was the church in that? There were great revivals and moves of his presence breaking out at the same time. Because again, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spear of the Lord will raise a standard. I'm believing as we see darkness and we see brokenness around us, that the spear of the Lord would come into the church and give us the tools, give us the gifts, give us the fruit of the spirit so that we can go and bring healing to brokenness all around us. But I came across an interview from Hefner back in 1992. And look what he said. This was with the New York Times. He said he feels to that point his greatest accomplishment in life was that he changed attitudes towards sex. That he decontaminated the notion of premarital sex. And he, here's what he said. That gives me great satisfaction. Now a lot of us because of the sexual revolution and because of the darkness that came forth, we've been crippled because of that. We believed a, a lie or we believed something someone said or we caved in in a, week of, in a time of weak emotions to 
you know, allowing us to step out of the parameter sexually. But here's the thing. As I talk about this, you should not be feeling condemnation or shame. You should be feeling there's grace for my life. And that thank God, thank God he made a way where I can be restored and redeemed. Because I've fallen short. We all fall short in different areas of our life. Whether it's sexually, whether it's whatever it may be, financially, in our health. But look, he said that his greatest accomplishment is that he changed these attitudes. And, and look what else he did. Years later, he paid $75,000 to have his gravestone by his first girl, Marilyn Monroe. And he, when he died, his goal was to be buried right by her. And when you think about eternity, you think about identity, you think about what, he, what his goal was to bring forth, and he did, it should be sobering for us that we have the gift of the cross. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that we should bring ourselves daily and allow us to be transformed and changed so that we don't believe the lies in the world and we don't believe the lies of what a friend in high school or a teacher who doesn't know God tells us about our sexuality or tells us about what is important in life. But the main goal of everything, we have to understand that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we fall short, because we will, we have to understand that there is limitless grace to empower us to become sons and daughters of God and set us free and bring us back into right relationship. Because at the end of the day, God desires to dwell in you. God loves you. You are his beloved. And the church should be shouting these things, that there is love for you, that you are beloved. Not that we give you the cold shoulder, but that you can come and that you can receive grace and you can become a son and a daughter of God. When you understand your identity in him, you can become victorious. There's no limit to what God can do in your life. All of this summed up to say, I love this, so I wrote it down. In matters of the Holy Spirit, because when you, when you touch areas like this, there's all different opinions and all different things, and a lot of us have had mess-ups in our life. But in order to truly change, as I've said before, we have to address the mess in our life. But it's not in a way where we, again, I can't shout this enough, because don't you ever walk out of here saying, Pastor Garrett doesn't love you, Pastor Garrett doesn't extend grace. But it's understanding and receiving Holy Spirit and receiving the grace of God in your life. I'm going to read it word for word. It's not the question, do I have all of the Holy Spirit? But rather, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? That's where we miss it in receiving the grace of God. That not that I don't have the Holy Spirit, where are you? But does he have all of you? Do you give yourself over to him? Because when you do and bow low and allow the grace of God to redeem you, you don't care what your past is. You don't care what the haysayers say. You don't care if you feel someone's talking about you and are judging you. All you care about is I'm running to the mercy seat 
and receiving the grace of God upon my life. I repent, I've fallen short, but the Father comes over you and again begins to show you the way of life and the way of abundance and the way that he has designed us to live. And so I pray that you feel the heart behind this. But I just want you to stand for the last few moments we have together. And I want Bree to sing this song that I am a child of God, that he split the seas so that we could walk right through it. And I pray that those thoughts and those feelings of your past, give them over to God. Give them. It, I'm, the biggest blockage to power is always fear. The biggest blockage to the Holy Spirit is always fear. It's your past talking to you. It's keeping you bound or it's saying that person doesn't love me or God doesn't love me. Let your past be healed and move into what God has for you. But again, don't completely miss the point of allowing the Holy Spirit to address those areas in our lives. He wants to set you free. He wants you to know his grace. As he told Timothy, and we'll get into this in the next few weeks, don't neglect the gift that I've given you, but stir it up. Neglect means to undervalue. How many of us are undervaluing the grace of God? It's time to stop undervaluing the price that he paid, but allowing the value, the eternal value that we have to come and heal us and to heal our conscience, as Hebrew says. Heal our minds so that we impart truth from generation to generation. There is grace for your life. There is healing for your life. You were never too far gone. You are not the sum total of your mistakes. Whether it's sexually, financially, there is grace for all of us. There is no judgment. You are not less than because you messed up. His grace is for us. We all mess up. We're imperfect people serving a perfect God. He's the one we turn our attention to. It's not to man or what man thinks. We want completely and fully what the Holy Spirit says. My prayer for you as you bow your head is that your heart's cry would be, Holy Spirit, I give myself fully over to you. I give myself fully over to you. You unravel me. Unravel me with his melody as we're about to sing. Surround me with a song. Well, the song this morning is, I give myself away so you can use me. Oh, that's a good song. I give myself away so you can use me. Take a moment and just whisper to the Holy Spirit, I give myself away this morning so you can use me. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Why we're doing this song, if you, do, if you feel to come and take a knee at this altar and allow the grace of God to be released into your life, it's open. Father, we thank you. We give you this moment. We give you this time. Impart grace into this church. Grace into our lives. We want the infilling of the Holy Spirit. As John says, we beheld his glory. He gave us the power to become sons and daughters of God. We have eternal value. And we're not going to let any past, any sin, any mistakes keep us from that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.